3, 2, unité, top, allumage VAP, décollage. And welcome to episode one of Thinking Space, the podcast of University College London's Malad Space Science Laboratory in the UK. I'm Dr. Geraint Jones, and I'll be your host today. Our home in the universe is the Milky Way galaxy, which is a vast swirling collection of dust, gas, stars, and their planets. And we can actually see it in the night sky if it's clear as a faint, fuzzy band of light stretching across the sky. In this episode, we'll be discussing Gaia, a hugely ambitious European Space Agency mission to map the stars of the Milky Way. We look forward to your company today on Thinking Space. Before we get onto the topic of the Gaia mission, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, the Mallard Space Science Lab. So, MSSL is the Department of Space and Climate Physics of UCL, University College London, and we're based in Holmbury St Mary in Surrey, to the south of London itself. We're the largest university-based space research group in the UK, and for over 50 years, MSSL has designed and built scientific instruments to be carried into space to make scientific observations over a wide range of fields, from solar physics, uh, space physics, looking at the magnetosphere around our own planet, other planets, and making astrophysical observations of objects further away in the universe. Our staff and students also play a vital role in studying the valuable data sent back from these many space missions. Now onto the Gaia mission. I spoke to Dr. George Seabrook of MSSL's Astrophysics Group about the mission. I began by asking George what the idea behind the mission was. So the idea behind Gaia is to uh, take a census of our galaxy. Um, so a big unanswered question in uh, in astrophysics is still how do galaxies form in general, and specifically our own. And so um, we can look at galaxies far away for example, with the Hubble telescope and see how, by, um, see how those galaxies, um, are at, at different ages. So by looking at galaxies further away at high redshift, we see them younger and younger. And a complementary approach, uh, to doing that is to look at individual stars within our galaxy to, to make very careful measurements of those and to see from those measurements how our galaxy formed and put that into the context of how, how in general, galaxies form. Okay. So is our galaxy a typical one? Is it particularly big or small? Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's fairly typical, mm-hmm. uh, we think. So it's, uh, it's a good galaxy to study uh, in order to, uh, uh, to try and work out how galaxies form in general, which okay. is good. fortunate. Okay, so you talked about... Uh, a census of uh, of the galaxy. So I guess that's how many stars there are, where they are. What do we want to find out? Yeah, that's right. So um, so Gaia's um, data research came out in April, measured the positions and distances to well over one billion stars. So that's over one thousand million stars, hmm. um, which sounds a lot, but um, we think there's over one hundred billion stars in our galaxy. So Gaia's actually only measuring about 1% of all the stars in our galaxy. Wow, okay. But we're hoping that's a, a representative sample uh, from which we can learn how the galaxy formed. Yeah, so why is it only seeing so few of them? So um, Gaia's observing down to a particular brightness limit, and so it sees anything that shines um, with an apparent magnitude brighter than about 20th magnitude or so. Which is far, far fainter than anything we can yeah, see with so the eye. Yeah, so that's sort of millions yeah. of times fainter than, than what you can see with the with the eye. Mm. So it's measured the 
the positions. So is that just the position in the sky or? Yes, yeah, so primarily Gaia is an astrometric mission, which means it's measuring the positions of the stars. But uh, the satellite is continually um, scanning the sky. So it's continually spinning. So it spins mm-hmm. once every six hours. And it's also processing like a spinning top. So it's doing that in order to see the whole sky. And it's aiming to see the whole sky. So visit each star on average 70 times mm-hmm. over the course of its nominal five-year mission. Okay. Um, and so by seeing the star multiple times, uh, we can actually see the star move. So the star moves for a number of reasons. Firstly, Gaia is going round the sun. So it's actually about three times further out from the Earth than the moon is. Mm-hmm. So Gaia is going round the sun in its own right. And so as it does that, it's continually seeing stars. So at one position in its orbit, it will see a star at a particular position against background sources which aren't moving. So like it's because they're really far away. Because they're yeah. really far away. So yeah. typically we're using quasars which, which don't really move. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, uh, a guy is around the other side of the sun and it may see that star again. And that star would have appeared to have traced an ellipse in the sky compared to when it was seen say, six months ago. Mm-hmm. And so that ellipse is being caused by Gaia's motion around the sun. So the star isn't actually doing that motion uh, in reality, but it's just mm-hmm. the apparent motion from, from Gaia's movement around the sun. And so from that, that angle that, the, that that movement sees is the parallax angle. And from that, we can get the distance okay. to the star. So that's like our eyes seeing in, in stereo or in 3D if we hold our finger out at yeah. arm's length, for example, and show one eye, and then the, then the other one, our finger seems to move against the background. Exactly. That's the same sort of thing. That's right, okay. yeah. So it's mapping where in the sky all the stars are and how much they're moving so you can get their distances as well. So what other information is uh, Guy providing? Yeah, so, 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 that, so the star is tracing this ellipse in the sky, which is its apparent motion, mm-hmm. but also the star is physically moving within the galaxy. Um, and that motion can be split into two components. So in the plane of the sky, Gaia is measuring positions as time goes on. And so um, as well as tracing the ellipse, it's tracing how the star moves across the sky. And so that turns into sort of a helix kind of shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that drift across the sky is what we call it's the star's proper motion. And we measure that in, in typically very small fractions of a degree per year. Mm-hmm. And if we know the distance to the star, which we get from the parallax, then we can convert that proper motion into a physical unit of speeds, kilometres per second. Okay. So that's the tangential velocity. And then uh, the other component that is that is the radial velocity, and that's the part of the mission that we're involved with here at MSSL. So the Gaia has a radial velocity spectrometer on board, and it's um, splitting the the starlight up into its constituent colours to form a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And... That spectrum experiences the Doppler shift, just like sound um, does. Um, and so if the star is moving away from us, uh, then the light is redshifted uh, compared to where it would otherwise be, as we know it would otherwise be from laboratory measurements on the ground. Um, and if the star is moving towards us, it's blue shifted. Okay. So I should say the, the redshift is different to the cosmological redshifts you hear from hear about with galaxies because that's being caused by the expansion of the universe itself mm-hmm. whereas the the blue and red shift that Gaia is measuring uh, for stars within our galaxy is, is the motion of the star around the center of the Milky Way okay so it's the same sort of effect as when a car is going past and you hear the sound going the, the tone is changing so it's the same with lights 
depending on whether it's coming towards exactly. the ocean. Yes, okay. that's it. So it can tell where the stars are and how far away they are and their motion as well in the plane of the sky and uh, how they're moving towards or away from us. So that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? That is. So you've got a, a three-dimensional position in space and you've got a three-dimensional velocity. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, so that's a snapshot of how the galaxy is at the moment. Uh, although see, the, uh, the speed of light is is uh, is finite, and so the diameter of the Milky Way is around 100,000 light years. So Gaia can actually see stars at the, the far side of the galaxy, the ones that are very intrinsically bright. And so that light's taken 100,000 years to get to us. But in terms of the, the age of the universe, so you know, 13.7 billion years, it's pretty instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And so, so Gaia is trying to take this census of, of how the galaxy is now and how it's moving now. And then we can put that information into computer models and work out orbits of stars. With the idea being that once you've calculated an orbit of a star, you can, um, you can run essentially a movie forwards in time or backwards in time. So forwards in time to work out the evolution of our Milky Way into the future. And backwards in time, we may see that uh, individual stars, actually their, their trajectories within the galaxy actually converge at a single point. And so we can realise that, that these stars were born from the same uh, dust cloud. And, and similarly, they've sort of been scattering been, yeah. in space since then. Okay. Exactly, yeah. So that's yeah. the sort of game we're trying to play with the data to work out the assembly history mm-hmm. of the Milky Way. You mentioned earlier that uh, the stars are going around the middle of the, the galaxy, so ours is as well, presumably. We're moving around the galaxy. All the other stars are as well. Um, so it's like being on a merry-go-round or something on the individual horses. And <laughs> that's right. That's... So we're watching the other ones going around with us and we can see their motion as they're moving around. Yeah, that's right. So that's, that's a, a really good analogy, actually, with the, the horses going up and down. So the... Uh, so what's unique about Gaia is that it's um, it's measuring uh, the radio velocities uh, over the whole sky. And so the data release that came out in April produced the first ever all-sky radio velocity map mm-hmm. of our Milky Way using a single instrument. So previously um, uh, maps have been made but uh, from the ground, but that's only limited to a single hemisphere. Okay. F- from the, the map of, weather telescope. Yeah, is on exactly. The yeah, limited okay. by the map of sky they can see. Mm. Um, so it's the first all-sky map of, of radio velocities with a single instrument, and it's also the largest catalogue of radio velocities. So the previous best was a uh, ground-based telescope in China called LAMOST, and they measured radio velocities for around 4 million stars. Hmm. Uh, and Gaia has measured the radio velocities of uh, over 7 million stars. And that's just the beginning, so it, it, it's going to get better. So we've, we've limited ourselves to a particular brightness limit with the first data release, but we've actually obtained uh, a lot more data going fainter. And so in a couple of years' time, the next data release, we're hoping to have around uh, 30 million stars with radio velocities measured. And then the final data release, we're hoping to have more than 100 million. Wow, okay. So Very impressive. Yeah, numbers. so the numbers are, yeah, literally <laughs> Too big to, to, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too big to comprehend. Yeah, really. yeah. <laughs> You, you've talked about uh, Gaia mapping the, the stars around us and things. So, um, so the, the spacecraft itself, what, how big is it? What does it look like? Yeah, so that, it's actually a funny-looking spacecraft. So um, it looks like a top hat mm-hmm. with a very wide brim. So that brim is, the, is our sun shield. 
uh, and so, so that's a circular uh, brim uh, with a diameter of about 10 meters or so. Mm-hmm. So that's designed to protect the instruments which are in the sort of ta- top hat part of the analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, um, and, and within the top hat, uh, that's about two or three meters high. And so we have two telescopes uh, in there. And so we're, we're looking at two parts of the sky at the same time mm-hmm. and projecting those different parts of the sky onto the same focal plane. Uh, so that's it's actually the largest um, digital camera that's ever been flown in space. So we're measuring more than a billion stars, and we have nearly one billion pixels wow. in okay. our digital camera. Quite a bit more than what I have in my phone. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it also costs a whole lot more uh, money than your phone, mm. I assume. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so the clever thing with Guy, because it's because the the, the spacecraft is continually scanning the detectors aren't um, integrating, so they're not collecting light and then stopping and then uh, reading that those that data out. Mm. The data is actually being tracked across the detectors as the data as the light's coming in and accumulating, and so it's um, so all these detectors are, are moving the uh, the signal uh, along, keeping in step with the scanning of the sky, so that okay. the images don't get blurred. Uh-huh. Because there's a continual, a continuous conveyor belt of data coming along, the readout of the te- of the detectors has to be very quick, uh, and so because there's not enough time to actually read out the full frame image as you would with you know, with most digital cameras, you mm. have to actually select because there's a lot of space in space, a lot of empty space around the stars. The we actually select little windows around each star, and so the empty space essentially gets flushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the as the signals read out of the detector, and then we slowly read out the the parts that we're interested in. But we have to do all of that uh, within a millisecond because the next line of data is coming along. So, and so uh, on and on. <clears throat> so it's like a conveyor belt, and you're hurrying to get everything yes. off before the next stuff joins. Okay. Essentially, yes. So is that the same or similar technique to so satellites going around the Earth looking down, like they use techniques called push broom or push frame, where they're scanning the surface? It's the same sort of yes, thing? Yes, that's the same kind of thing, I believe, yes. Okay, yeah. but with stars instead of uh, yeah. mapping yeah. the Earth or another planet. So you referred earlier to uh, astrometry, and there's also another technique, photometry. What What's that? So the photometry is measuring the brightness of stars. Okay. So you've mentioned already... Um, the millions of stars that you've got radial velocities for as well, but how many stars has Gaia told us the positions of and uh, the, the other information? So we've got nearly 1.7 billion stars. Billion. Okay. Billion. So, yeah, so 1,700 million stars um, we have the position and the brightness for. Mm-hmm. And then we have the, the parallax and proper motions for 1.3 billion stars. And there's also uh, low-resolution spectra being taken on board uh, for us to do uh, photometry with. So one of the great things that came out of um, the data release uh, back in April uh, was Gaia's all-sky colour map of mm-hmm. the of the Milky Way. So it takes um, spectra in the blue part of the spectrum and in the red part of the spectrum. So there's a, a red photometer and a blue photometer on board Gaia. And so using those colours... Um, we can make a color map of the of the Milky Way. Hmm. So it's not actually the the actual image isn't an image as such. Like it's not a single frame that's been read out from the detectors. It's actually a, a density map. So if for each pixel on the image, that we've counted how many stars are in that pixel that have been detected by Gaia, 
and then we've assigned a color based on the average of the, mm. of the color of those stars within that pixel, okay. essentially, and then built up a sort of a density map like that. Photometry is measuring the brightness of stars. So that's important because we want to put uh, stars onto the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. So this is the, the, the diagram that basically tells us about the family of stars and which part of the family they, they belong to. Mm-hmm. So as part of measuring the parallax, that gives us the distance. And if we combine the distance with the apparent brightness of stars, that tells us the intrinsic brightness of a star. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the axes of the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. So that's the vertical axis. And then the uh, the colour uh, of the star is on the other axis. Okay. And so that's what defines the, the main sequence of stars of, of which the, the sun lives on the main sequence. And you can also see the giant branch, which is the, uh, the future fate of the sun uh, in about... Four and a half billion years' time. Uh-huh. We'll go really plump and eat yeah. up a couple of planets. That's and, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so here at MSSL, uh, we've got significant role on the mission as well. So what exactly is that role? Yeah, so my boss, uh, Professor Mark Cropper, who's, who's head of the astrophysics group here at MSSL, so he led the design of Gaia's radio velocity spectrometer. Uh, so that was ultimately built by um, Astrium, who are now called um, Airbus, and his role in that uh, led uh, the lab to winning uh, an industrial contract from um, Airbus uh, to actually test every single flight CCD and make them with their electronics box, mm-hmm. so electronics that drives the, the detectors. So Gaia has 102 uh, detectors on board and many other flight spares. And so there's a very detailed campaign that took nearly five years mm. to run it um, in total here. So testing each detector um, and putting it through uh, a whole sequence of tests so that it could be qualified to go onto the spacecraft uh, down in Toulouse in France. Okay, great. So so um, the launch took place a few years ago now. You were there. So um, yeah, was. when exactly was it and what was that experience like? I was very fortunate. So that was back in December uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. And yes, I, I was incredibly fortunate to, to go. So that was down in French Guyana in South America. And it was, um, it was also a tiring experience. So we landed in French Guyana at about 10 in the evening and we had to set our alarms at, for 2 a.m. to get up and drive, uh, an hour, uh, from where we were staying to the launch site in pitch black, eating our breakfast in the back of the car. <laughs> and, um, I don't think we had to be there quite that early actually, but, um, best to be safe. Best yeah. to be safe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, um, and so we're there. So we we're, we're initially in the mission control room. So that was us in sort of a, a theatre-like uh, seating arrangement with and all the the flight controllers behind what looked like bulletproof glass that were see-through. You know, so we could see all of that um, building up and and um, and the pictures on the screen. And we were told that we'd be allowed to go out into the gantry uh, and actually see the launch when it was happening. But mm-hmm. so the countdown got to I think it was about two minutes to go. And they hadn't opened the door, <laughs> which was, and I was starting to get a bit agitated yeah. at this point. And because they were armed machine gun, uh, armed soldiers with machine guns on the doors, yeah. uh, which seemed a bit over the top. But so we were just wondering what to do when they let us through. So I was quite fortunate. I was sitting quite close to the door. So we got out there and then. Was that on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, um, so, so we got out and it was, uh, so it was a, a dawn launch. 
Uh, and so there's a, a beautiful gradient of, of blue in the sky. So from dark from the night side towards where the sun was uh, still below the horizon, but a beautiful gradient of blue. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we heard the countdown. This. And then, uh, and we saw this amazing fireball take off, and so we could hear the sound, but then we heard some more sound hit us a few moments later, and then we realised that we were hearing the launch through the speakers on the gantry. Oh, right. And then what what actually hit us a bit later was the the gentle rumble of the actual of the actual sound coming. Mm-hmm. So we were ten kilometres away actually from the launch site. So it wasn't quite the. Uh, I, was, I was always sad never to see the the shuttle launch in person, and I've I've heard people say that you know the sound of that really hits you mm. and, sh- and almost shakes you about. So that it wasn't quite that experience, but uh, but to see it go up uh, was uh, was a real privilege. Right. So it's great that you're telling us about the results from Gaia, and, and uh, we're recording this in uh, in July 2018, and you've been at the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition uh, this week. Um, do you want to explain? What exactly was going on? Yeah, so uh, the Summer Science Exhibition is a, is a great opportunity to explain what we do to the public. We're, as we are publicly funded, it, we have a, yeah, a duty to, to explain what we do. And so um, so Guy has a stand there. So it's a big... Um, so Guy's a, a Europe-wide collaboration mm. of around 400 scientists and software engineers processing the data. And similarly around uh, the UK, um, there's uh, Cambridge, Edinburgh... Lester and ourselves um, actually writing software to process the data. And also lots of scientists are very interested in the data. So lots of scientists from Oxford as well. And so all of these people, as well as um, engineers who help build the satellite from Astrium and who help build the detectors from a company called E2V, mm-hmm. uh, now called Teledyne E2V, who are based in Chelmsford. So all of these people are sending volunteers to explain to, to the public about Gaia and so on the stand, we've got uh, a one in ten scale model of the satellite, mm-hmm. which is great to to be able to explain what it does. And we have an app, uh, which is actually available on uh, on Google Play at the moment for Android phones, that uh, that allows you to to play with uh, how actual astronomers will be using the data. Okay. So, what's the name of that app? So, the name of the app is Galaxy with Gaia. Okay. So, if uh, yeah. people search for that on the Google Play Store, they can. Uh, yeah, hopefully they'll find that and. Uh, and have a play. Okay, sounds great. So unfortunately, when this podcast goes out, the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition will be over for this year. But um, yeah, I've been involved in a couple of them in the past as well. And it's always a great event to go to in uh, in July every year. Okay, so um, clearly you had a great time discussing Gaia with the public at the Royal Society. So uh, thanks very much again, George, for um, telling us more about the mission and the science it's doing. Yeah, thanks very much for the opportunity. That's almost it for this time. If you want to learn more about MSSL, our website is at ucl.ac.uk slash mssl. This podcast is on Twitter at thinkspacechat, one word, at thinkspacechat. If you've got any questions or comments, then please do get in touch. Next time on Thinking Space, a mission to explore our nearest star, the sun. 
Thanks again to George Seabrook for his contribution and to you for listening. This podcast has been made possible by the support of the UK's Science and Technology Facilities Council through a public engagement fellowship. Until next time, goodbye.